Welcome to Ask of Expert, brought to you by the team at Vexit.com. Our bi-weekly series is the podcast helping business owners, managers, and professionals thrive in the world of modern work. Here's this week's host, Polly Craig. Well, hello and welcome back. After our first entrepreneurial feature, we heard from you loud and clear. Yep, you guessed it. You love hearing from entrepreneurs, people who are willing to put themselves out there and share their real life experiences that include the slips, falls, leaps and lessons along their entrepreneurial journey. Moments that you can relate to. And as entrepreneurs, it often feels lonely at the top, but know that you are not alone. We're so pleased to bring you another episode from Inside the Entrepreneurial Journey. And today we welcome an entrepreneur who has been growing her business boldly across Canada and more recently, the United States. Catherine Matricki, founder and CEO of Calia Flowers. She joins us today to share her story of taking her tech business from idea to more than 60 employees. And you may have even seen her on Dragon's Den, but now we get to hear all about it. Welcome to the show, Catherine. We're so excited to have you with us. Thanks, Polly. I'm really glad to be here. So, you know, I remember it wasn't that long ago. So you have to remind us of when you actually started your business, hearing about this, this young woman who she had a problem herself, had an idea, but actually took the step to turn it into a business. When was it? When did it all begin? So it was the summer of 2016, which feels like yesterday and five decades ago at the same time. And I was working full-time in marketing and I needed to send flowers to my best friend that got promoted, um, working here in Winnipeg at the time. And I was back-to-back in meetings. I didn't have time to call a florist. I didn't want to go to the grocery store and buy some awful bouquet. Um, and I didn't trust any of the big syndicates like a 1-800-Flowers or an FTD to deliver something that really I felt was going to communicate what I wanted to share with my friend for her special day. And I ended up sending her a text message, which is awful. Um, You know, I should have been able to do better than that to be able to celebrate this really special moment for her. And that was a bit of a light bulb moment for me. You know, I've been looking for the intersection of what I knew, which was, you know, brand management and consumer and marketing um, and also digital, because you're right, I was young at the time and thought there's probably an industry that's right for disruption based on those two things. And flowers was certainly that. And so an idea turned into fruition and We've been on the roller coaster ever since. But that first move, you know, an idea is one thing, but you're working full time for somebody else. How did you ever, like taking that leap of actually leaving a job and moving into your own business, can you just share how that felt and how you actually made that ultimate decision? Yeah, you know, I was fortunate, Polly, in that I I had a good career that I was running in marketing. And so I was able to know that I had a bit of a fallback in terms of, you know, if I just continue doing a marketing career, I'll be fine. And so it was kind of a, I'll start this as a side hustle, you know, no kids, I had a boyfriend at the time, but like nothing too much to do in the evenings and weekends. And so it was, why don't I start this as, as a side hustle? And so I'd, you know, build a website in the evenings and I'd, you know, talk to vendors early in the morning. And I remember some of those early days, I would get up at five. 5 a.m. and I would go to our warehouse partner and I would sticker boxes at 5 a.m. for like two hours and then I would go to my actual job and work the rest of the day. There were some crazy moments like that in terms of kind of burning the candle at both ends and 
I, I wasn't sure it was going to turn into a real business. And I think for me, there were kind of two inflection points. One was I didn't actually really want to start the business because in my mind, I wanted this perfect um, product when I launched it. I wanted the website to be impeccable. I wanted the product to look amazing. I wanted everything to be absolutely polished. And I got really good advice early on from many people in the Winnipeg tech ecosystem around the importance of just starting. And so that for me was a really important inflection point. Like it's not going to be perfect. You've just got to get something out there. And then the second for me was around, you know, the ability to take the leap and take that something into something more. And it got to the point where I had to make the choice, you know, either I'm going to just let, let this hang out as a side hustle, or I'm actually going to take a leap and push it into something more than that. And, and so I did, that was about six months in and the first couple months were rough, right? Like, you know, I think I, I didn't pay myself for the first 12 or 18 months, but um, was fortunate to be able to run along the way. And, and now we're here. So it's been quite the ride. So you touched on the fact that you got some good advice early on. So where did you go? How did you connect with advisors in the first place? You know, it was interesting. I was a very reluctant entrepreneur, Polly. I think coming from a world of data, I love certainty. I hate risk. And so it was really interesting because I started it almost from an academic mindset. Like I'm going to go collect all of the data points on how to be a great entrepreneur. And there's some good resources in Manitoba. You know, at the time, Innovate Manitoba ran some workshops and had some kind of weekend programs. And so I started to work through those people, Jan Letterman, Randy, all those people running kind of workshops. And so got some good information there. Then I got connected with North Forge and Scott Macaulay and some of that circle and started going to events. And then, you know, sometimes I think life is serendipitous. I I was in a super keener program when I was 16 years old that brought youth across Canada together to do trade missions kind of internationally. And I had met Josh Samer when I was 16. And so right as I was starting Calia, Skip was really hitting their stride. And I, I bumped into him at a party and said, hey, you know, do you remember me from like 10 years ago? And he said, oh yeah, for sure. And so I, I picked his brain and said, hey, I want to start this business. And he connected me with Marshall Ring at the Manitoba Technology Accelerator. And so from there, I was able to join that group and really start to learn from that group of mentors and advisors, um, including you and David and that whole set. So I think for me, it was a, a neat opportunity to start to leverage both existing and new relationships as part of the ecosystem system um, to hear what others have done before, because I think that's one of the things. And I was nodding when you did your introduction, Polly, around um, it can be lonely as an entrepreneur. Like that is so true. And I think for me, it's been important to find the people that have done it before or seen it before that can provide some perspective, especially in the early years. Well, and on that point, you can say, yeah, I'm going to go out and I'm going to ask questions and meet people. But again, just like having an idea and putting it into action, it's not that easy you know, like you say, you're comfortable with the data and, you know, get behind that computer and this is what's going to happen because it tells me that. But building relationships along the way is so key. And for those who who don't know, because in our audience is all across Canada, Josh Samer, who was one of the co-founders of Skip the Dishes and grew it and ended up, you know, transitioning it and selling it. And now he's into another business. He's a natural entrepreneur, but like so many entrepreneurs, he gives back and shares his journey to help other aspiring entrepreneurs. And I can only imagine that you now do the same for so many others because of what you have had the benefit of of receiving from those early day entrepreneurs. 
I try. Yeah, I I think it's important. You know, I think there are these lessons and wisdom and pieces that get passed on. And many of the things that I talk about now are not lessons that I learned, but are advice that was given to me that then translated into a lesson that was learned. And so it's actually, you know, I, I think your point is really spot on in terms of there are these nuggets of wisdom that actually get passed on and on and on and on. And it starts with one person, but then it scales out through this network and has this massive ripple effect. And so I I'm really grateful for those early nuggets and and for the continued nuggets because I think it, it's so nice to have more of a support than just being a, a team of one, right? Absolutely. And so you know you have a background. At what point did you start to bring other people in? What point was your business at when you had your first employee? So I started Calia in September 2016. That was the day that we delivered our first box. And I was still working full-time at the time. I side hustled it a little bit for another four months and then was full-time as of January 2017. And then we started to raise kind of a pre-seed of angel investment. And so raised a couple hundred thousand dollars from angels here in Manitoba. And from that, we're able to hire our first employee. And so it's actually in a funny story around like the importance of people and serendipity. So while I was trying trying to you know, keep the lights on in my house, starting Calia, not having any revenue um, or or income. Um, I started teaching at the University of Manitoba and Red River College. So taking advantage of my background in marketing and in sales. And so I was just doing a couple courses sessional because it was a nice way to do that um, and still have time to do the rest of the business as opposed to something full-time or part-time. And so I ended up hiring my top student from the U of M marketing management class. That was employee number one. And then my top student from the Red River course in sales that I was teaching, which was employee number two. And both of them are still with Calia five years later and are, you know, phenomenal people, good friends and key drivers of our business. And so I find that really interesting in terms of some of that serendipity around, you know, you talk about relationships and the importance of building relationships and building a network. You never know who's going to come into your life and stay with you in different ways. And it's one of the things I'm really grateful for. And the fact that your first two employees are still with you, let's talk a little bit about the culture and tone always has to come from the top. You are, you know, a very driven, inspiring personality. How do you translate that into developing a business that actually runs properly and attracts the right people? You know, I think we've always been really people oriented here. And I think the people that are attracted to Calia and stay at Calia are people that have a couple of core characteristics. You know, they're passionate about making a change. They really care about the work that they're doing. We talk about grit. We talk about drive, talk about like really high achieving people, like people who want to make a mark on the, on the world. These aren't nine to five people, but one of the things that they all have in common is that they really care about each other and that they really care about the individual as much as an often more as the business, more than the business. And we talk a lot about how Cali is not going to be the right fit for everyone. And it's also not going to be the right fit for everyone at every stage of their career. And so because of that, we've made really intentional choices to always prioritize the person and the person's goals um, as much as we prioritize the business goals. And I remember, so one of our other early employees, um, he was a junior developer, hired him straight out of school, came in as a front-end developer. And I remember we were sitting having one of his, you know, we do 
uh, quarterly performance check-ins. And at the bottom of each one, we talk about career. You know, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? Um, and he turned to me and we had this very, you know, open and honest culture expectation. Like you can say anything, we'll always support you. And he looked me straight in the eye and, and I asked him, you know, what, what do you want to do? What are your career objectives? And I'm expecting like, you know, I'd like to get better in Java. I want to get some AWS certifications, something like that. No, he looks me straight in the eye and he says, Catherine, I've decided I'd really like to be a carpenter. And I was like, okay, so like, let's talk about that. You know, like, what skills do you need to be a carpenter? What do you think your timing might be? And all of that. We had this whole long conversation about some of the things that he could learn at Calia in order to prepare him for this, you know, career as a carpenter. And then we promised to keep in touch and he'd keep me posted all the rest of it. Well, you know, the long story short is that he decided not to become a carpenter and he stayed at Calia and he now leads, he's our head of engineering and he leads a team of, you know, 15 developers, but a kind of a cool story in terms of, you know, creating an environment for people to be really honest and share what they're personally passionate about creates this environment of trust and of loyalty and of really prioritizing the people. And I I laugh at that a lot. (laughs) That's so fantastic. But like in any business, and I love that you're, you're looking at the people and their path. Because anytime that you, you know, if if you have a business and you say, okay, I'm going to hire you to help the business succeed. If you aren't investing in the people themselves, you know, people aren't going to stay forever, but when they leave, what have they contributed? And what have you contributed to them that they can use further down the line? And, you know, I'm a little more seasoned, a nice way of saying older than you, uh, in the sense that the most beautiful experiences, fast forward 20 years, is running into a past employee that you can share the stories and how much you've been able to contribute to each other in those past years. And did they learn something that they can take to their next career uh, as a way to give back uh, to them? Because then you have their all. When they're with you, it's give on both sides of, of the equation. So that's a beautiful thing. I love that, Polly. And I, if I get a bit personal for one second, because I think some of this is about being vulnerable. So um, my father died a number of years ago. And at his funeral, one of the most resonant things that I remember, I'm always going to get emotional. I'm trying not to be. But um, a number of the people that had worked for him, um, and he, he managed a number of people through his career, came up to me at the funeral, people I'd never met. And they said, your dad was the best boss I ever had. Um, and that for me was so resonant. And it's one of the things that I really strive for because life's too short right like it to to clock in and clock out and not love what you're doing and not feel like you're working with people that care about you and not feeling like you're growing you know those things I think are are really definitive in in you know the short time we have on this planet and so the more that we can create an environment here where people feel like you know this is one of the best times of their life from a career perspective that's absolutely what we're striving for in the ups and the downs Absolutely. And, you know, it sort of ties into, you touched on a little bit that you have this 80-20 rule and and talking about perfection, if you wait until it's 100%. And how does that work into the people that you work with? How do you give them permission to fail? Is that sort of part of your culture as well? It is. So um, we follow the Pareto principle, which is 80-20. So you can get 80% of the result for 20% of the effort. And often in most projects past that point, um, it's diminishing returns on your on your time. And I think one of the interesting things that I learned from Lean Startup, so one of the you know common business books that people read as they build out tech startups, is the importance of iterations. And so the faster that you can try and fail and try and fail and try and fail, the more successful you'll be. And they studied you know why startups succeed at often a, a more rapid rate than 
large companies. And it was because of the rate of iterations that they do. Startups are able to test and fail so much more than large organizations are because of alignment and all those things. And so for us, the value of 80-20 is being able to test and fail on as many things as possible. And so we, we have you know, internal values around making smart choices, but then also taking lots of risks and being okay with failure. And, you know, we're going to go test this thing. And if it completely fails, that's okay. And we talk about that in terms of product launches and geography launches. And, you know, I've had a ton of really stupid ideas that we launched and then massively fail. And then we scale them back. And there's also been lots of opportunities and times when, you know, someone on our team has suggested something and I thought it was a really stupid idea, um, but we've gone and done it because we have this internal culture that's, you know, we try things, we take risks and we like to fail and they end up being right. And so I think that environment has created um, the ability to be a lot more creative, to bring in ideas from all across the board and to test and succeed in things that we, we likely wouldn't have tried if we didn't have that mentality. And it's something that was really integral to our business early on. It's been a challenge, like I'll be candid, as, as we've grown in terms of how do you continue to foster you know, the ability to risk and the ability to test when the stakes are so much higher. You know, in early days, if we mess something up, it was like, well, you know, it's 10 orders. Um, these days, if we mess something up, it's a thousand orders or, you know, the impact to investors and to the business and the rest of it is, is higher. And so we're still trying to figure out how we rejig that in terms of how do we create, you know, sandboxes, testing environments, um, whatever you want to call them so that everyone can be doing that, understanding that we have some safety nets in place just in case it fails a little bit more aggressively than we'd hoped. Um, what, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, Polly, because you've been through this uh, a number of times. How do you create that environment? Well, it's so true. I think one and my next question for you, which I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit in the sense that when you're so busy, especially in a, in a growing business and changing and, and you have some peaks and valleys that you can touch on as well as far as seasonality and how you fill those gaps. But as far as team goes, one of the things in my experience was the understanding and commitment to rhythm and and making sure that that everybody is checking in you know we would do daily stand up and identifying the choke points everybody understanding what role they play and then knowing who can help who in order to achieve the end goal so everybody having the same end game in mind individually having their own responsibilities and then this culture of one team one team, one goal, how do we help each other achieve that? And recognizing where people may be struggling uh, and it changes all the time. So I don't know if, if you do the same thing in your business. You talked about a quarterly check-in. Do you have a rhythm or a process? Yeah, we do. You know, that's that's how we do kind of our performance check-ins. It's on a quarterly basis and we do lots of feedback and that kind of thing. And certainly, you know, weekly and daily one-to-one stand-ups, team meetings, all that kind of stuff. There's a decent cadence, but it's been really interesting as we've moved um, to a larger team and also to a work-from-home team. So we, you know, at the start of the pandemic, we're 11 people and now we're 60. And for many of those people, they have spent almost their entire time at Calia working from home. And so one of the things we're starting to see now when we're trying to really change our process and our rhythm on is how we are communicating priorities and what's happening cross-functionally in the business. And I had a really good conversation actually with Sydney Gustafson, who was employee number one, one of my students at Red River. And she was saying, you know, she always used to know what was 
you know, the matter at hand, whether it was on the daily or the weekly or the monthly, because we sat back to back and she would hear me in my conversations and we would be debriefing everything. And so she knew exactly what the priority was at every moment, every minute, because she was living it with me as we were going through it. But now that people are at home and now that we're a bigger team, we're certainly finding that people aren't as clear in terms of what are the big things that are you know, important today, this week, next month. And especially on a more rapid cadence, you know, we do a decent job at, okay, here's the priorities for the quarter and here's the priorities for the year. But we're looking at, you know, the more timely, especially cross-functional, what are the big things that people are working on? And the other thing that I find really interesting that goes with that is, how the communication can start to spiral so quickly. Uh, And this is a timely example, but I share it because it's just kind of interesting. So we've been launching in the US and it's been going better and worse than we had thought it would in in a number of different ways. And yesterday I heard about uh, through the grapevine that if we don't launch in the US on the correct timing, the way that we had planned to, that Catherine is going to get fired. And apparently one of the little birdies was almost in tears because she was feeling that if she didn't deliver on her part, of U.S. expansion that I was going to get fired. Like, what? <laughs> so it's just so interesting in terms of, you know, it's and, and it's a silly anecdote, but it's it's emblematic for me of this bigger trend that we're seeing about the role that I and our leadership team needs to play in making sure that we've got really open communication across our teams, really good and clear understanding around priorities and outcomes and changes and goals and like just it's really interesting how things can start to spiral so quickly. And I think it's a combination of team growth and it's a combination of work from home, but an issue that we are certainly facing. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. And, you know, one thing that I was really interested in, because you did grow so quickly across Canada, and you had outsourced some of your processes and your systems and the way that you delivered, and then you did a pivot and decided that you needed to have more control over that, as I understand it. Can you kind of walk us through how that happened for you? You know, it's interesting, the evolution of Calia in terms of what we originally thought our value proposition was going to be into what it is now. And based on that, some of the choices we've made on infrastructure. And so it'll be a little bit rambly, but I, I think it's important. So when I first started the business, I thought that we were going to be a brand play. So my background was marketing. I was like, you know, pretty logo, nice website, cool looking box. Like this is absolutely a brand play and we'll call it a day. And so we were planning to outsource most of our logistics and distribution because the like those weren't going to be the core differentiators. It did, they didn't really matter. We were going to invest everything on the marketing and brand and product and customer side. But one of the things that we learned very quickly was that in this industry, in order to be successful, you actually have an incredibly high standard of what that experience has to look like beyond the brand and the packaging. Because when you're sending flowers, you're sending something extremely perishable um, that has a very specific date and time requirement. So not you know five to 10 business days from now, 
now, like grandma's birthday is today at 2 p.m. I need my flowers today at 2 p.m. And it's also going to an unexpected recipient. And so when you add those dynamics and those variables into the product experience that we had, you know, you can have the prettiest box and the nicest website, but if you don't have great quality, super fresh flowers that are handled, you know, even in minus 41 degrees to absolute perfection and delivered to your door exactly when you want them, then the entire customer experience fails. And so that required us to then make changes in terms of how we were going to support the business from an infrastructure perspective, because the only way that we could guarantee that level of experience um, was by insourcing uh, those pieces. And and as a result, I think we've built, and, and it's kind of two pieces. In some ways, we're control freaks, Polly. Like I, I was sick of having a customer call me and be like, I got this, you know, I ordered online and it was so beautiful and the flowers were amazing, but like they arrived three days late because the courier just like decided not to deliver them. And I was sick of talking to someone who's crying because we missed their grandma's 80th birthday um, and saying, oh, well, you know, I gave it to FedEx and it's their fault. Sorry. Like, Ah, it just doesn't work. And so we be, we took this level of expectation around control and then ability to deliver that experience to a customer and said, look, if no one else there can do it properly, then we'll just do it ourselves. And, and that has created now this underpinning of infrastructure, which means that we're able to deliver this consistent experience. And I'll brag about numbers for a second. So if we talk about net promoter score um, in the industry, so typically written as the difference between your number of five-star reviews subtracted your number of one-star reviews you get a net number out of 100. So 1-800-Flowers net promoter score is negative two, which actually means that they have more one-star reviews than five-star reviews, which is insane to me. Um, And even if you look at other competitors in this space, you know, across Canada, across North America or internationally, typically their net promoter scores are hovering in the 40s. Calia's net promoter score is 91, uh, which is absolutely outstanding objectively when it comes to retail and e-commerce and like any of those experiences, and particularly because we're dealing with perishable product. And the reason that that we've been able to do that is because of this investment in infrastructure, and that will continue to be our hallmark and continue to be our value proposition. So long ramble summarized what we thought the business was going to stand for at the beginning became very different than what the business stands for now. And we've made changes based on um, supply chain and infrastructure in order to be able to support that. Well, and every business has to do that, but committing to, you know, it's customer first focused on that. You know, you can spend a lot of money, time, effort, marketing and gaining, you know, acquiring a new client. If you don't have them coming back as a repeat or referring you to others, it's all for naught. And recognizing that and making the changes on your side of the equation to, to change that, uh, it, takes, it takes commitment, work, and it takes the right team, absolutely. Definitely the right team. And I think that's part of it when you go back to culture, you know, the the people that succeed here are the ones that really understand the importance of perfection when it comes to the customer experience. And we started talking about that differently internally, like 80-20 when it comes to new initiatives and launches and, you know, different things that we're testing, but 100% when it comes to customer and really defining those two things as being important, um, different approaches, I think has been key for us. Absolutely. Can you touch a little bit on the importance of having the right outside, you know, advisors, professionals, or the wrong ones? And what's your experience in that area? 
You know, I think one of the challenges for us early on was that getting the right, you know, professional support was a tick box thing that I just didn't really want to deal with. And so I actually think, Polly, and I think I shared this with you, the first lawyer, the first insurance provider, the first, you know, whatever the list of payroll provider, those kinds of things. It was literally like I had heard of one person and that was the person we went with. And it wasn't like we didn't do a search. We didn't vet anyone. We didn't understand. It was like literally the only person that I knew that was a lawyer became our lawyer. The only person person that I knew that did insurance, did our insurance, the only for benefits, all that kind of stuff. Um, Cause it was just tick off the box. And, you know, some have stayed with us because, you know, we built great relationships and the rest of it, but some, you know, it wasn't necessarily the right fit based on experience or expertise. And I think that's one of the things that I've tried to, or that I've really learned and learned from making bad mistakes over the years, you know, as an entrepreneur, you don't know what you don't know. And so when you go in to vet a lawyer, you go in to vet an insurance provider, you don't even know what questions to ask because you've never done it before. And you don't have time to ask the questions either. And so I think there's times when we've been burned. You know, I remember our first incorporation. I think we we created like a thousand shares or something, which would have been fine if this was going to be a lifestyle business. But when we're building and, you know, raising capital and venture investment, all the rest of it, like we've had to do these really expensive share splits and like all sorts of things over time. Those are mistakes that you just don't know not to make unless you've made them before, or if you've got a partner that's done it. And so I think I've now learned the importance of vetting a little bit more intentionally about fit and experience. But if I, if I could go back to those early days, I think I could have really used, and I, I promise I'm not just, you know, patting Vexit on the back, but I really could have used a service like Vexit to be able to get access to who could I talk to and what expertise do they actually have? Um, because I think it would have helped us avoid making some mistakes that were just the wrong fit um, in terms of the professionals that we were working with at the time. Wow. Okay, that was not a paid advertisement either. <laughs> Brought to you by Vexit. <laughs> but truth, I, I mean every word. I think that's one of the things that's a challenge as an entrepreneur is where do you put your energy? And I think the more that you can find ways to create efficiency and hack some of the things that you don't want to or need to spend your energy in, the more successful you can be. And I think finding professionals is one of those areas. So t- touch a little bit about, you know, you're going across Canada. How many cities you're in? Over 20 cities in Canada now? You know, we say 300 places. There's actually like really interesting definitions of cities and towns, but we're almost every postal code in Canada now, provinces, not territories. But yeah, we opened in Quebec in the summer. So that's been really exciting. And then just recently launched in the U.S. as well. So we're open throughout Ohio and Minnesota, um, the very cool states of Ohio and Minnesota. But it's been really neat to see how we've been able to add so many postal codes, so many zip codes, um, serving people in all sorts of places. And can you just share, what was your strategy? Why those two states? You know, what we know we're really good at is the combination of timely local delivery because we've got local warehouses in every single one of our regions and also delivering in extremely, you know, difficult environments and difficult in flowers is often temperature related. And so for us going into Ohio and into Minnesota is actually the confluence of those things. You know, we're really good at having a local base so we can get flowers to you really quickly. And a lot of the U.S 
best is served out of some of the big centers. So served out of New York, served out of Miami, served out of California, where you're not necessarily able to get the same kind of timeliness, which actually really matters in flowers. Um, and also not necessarily able to deliver effectively in the cold. And we're really good at cold. You know, it was minus 41 at Valentine's Day last year. Flowers freeze in less than 30 seconds in minus 41. And so having a network of our own drivers, our own systems, we've got, I'm really excited, we're launching this year. Um, they kind of look like little space suits. Um, for flowers. And so when you order flowers in negative temperatures, we literally wrap it in like a burrito bag space suit, which we're getting custom made, like very cool um, in order to be able to do that. And like, these are high stakes environments. And I think that's part of the uniqueness of the grid of our team. And I don't know if it's a Winnipeg thing. I don't know what it is, but we seem to love diving into these like really stupid environments. Like who builds a perishable flower business out of Winnipeg, Manitoba, which is literally one of the coldest places in the world. Like Gosh, like glutton for punishment, right? But um, this team loves the challenge. And so we just like, okay, like tell us it can't be done and we'll go show you that it can. And I think that's that's a cool thing that has really become a driver of our business. And that's why we're hanging out in Ohio and Minnesota. <laughs> and that's why you're experiencing the growth that you are. So just share with us what is next for Calia other than the special spade suits, which I can't <laughs> wait to see that. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, you know, we've got a big year ahead of us as we get into Valentine's Day and into Mother's Day. Those are our two biggest times of year. And, you know, we've got pretty aggressive goals when it comes to the number of bouquets we would like to sell and the number of moments we would like to help you make. And so continuing to do that in all of our regions, we will also continue to expand. So into different markets in the U.S. And then one of the new things that we just launched, which I'm quite excited about, is a program called Curated by Calia, um, which takes the Calia experience, but instead of just being in flowers, applies it to gifting. And so there are these curated boxes of artisanal gifts from across Canada, you know, local makers, often moms in their basement, like making really cool things. And so that's been a neat test for us as well in terms of can Calia stand for, you know, a really delightful experience in gifting as opposed to just flowers. And so um, we'll continue to be testing both of those things as we go into the new year. This has definitely been a delightful conversation, and I love that we have dueling dogs on both ends. Yes, very much so. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it's a, this is a real conversation. This yeah. is life. So what haven't we covered that you'd like to share with our audience? You know, we talked a bit about team, but I think for me, I'm really grateful to the ecosystem that we've had throughout Manitoba with you and your husband and like all of these things, Polly, like we've been around the block a number of times. And I think um, I'm grateful for that because there are so many people who have put their necks out to support Calia and to support me. And that really matters. Like that's part of the journey. And I, I guess that appreciation is really important to me. So thank you for having us and thank you for your continued support. And thank you to those listening for um, your continued support and, and listening and learning and I look forward to, to continuing to be on the journey with you. Well, one of the best things about this episode is that Catherine and Calia Flowers has offered a special promotion to our Vexit podcast listeners. So what do you have, Catherine? So just head to Calia.com. So C-A-L-L-I-A.com slash Vexit, V-E-X-X-I-T. And it'll automatically load a discount for you to save 10% off any Calia order. So um, check it out, use our discount code, and we can't wait to send flowers for you across the U.S. and in Canada. Oh, well, this has been a, a real pleasure. And every time I talk to you, I learn something new. And so it doesn't matter where what stage you're at in your life, your career, if you keep those ears open and keep networking and meeting new people and having those conversations, you never know what might happen next. 
So thank you, Catherine, for being with us. And we look forward to watching you continue your journey. Thank you. Thanks, Holly. Please note that the conversation in this podcast is for informational and learning purposes and does not constitute legal, financial, or business advice. The Ask of Expert podcast is a production of Exit and distributed globally by the Sound Off Media Company. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at averyrich.com.